The Daily 202 Podcast is brought to you by Indeed.com. Right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever, and that means every hire is critical. Indeed, the number one job site in the world, is here to help. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 15th. In today's news, President Trump denies climate change as he inspects fire damage in the West. The Gulf Coast braces for Hurricane Sally. Two major glaciers are tearing loose from their restraints in the Atlantic. Oh, and there might be life on Venus. But first, the big idea. The unlikely portrait of Medicaid in the time of coronavirus looks like Jonathan Chapin, living with his wife and 11-year-old daughter in a gated community in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Jonathan had a thriving production company called We Ain't Saints in Reno, Nevada. He booked bands, managed weddings, and hosted 600-strong karaoke nights in Lake Tahoe. When the coronavirus came, forcing Nevada's entertainment industry to go dark, everything Jonathan knew disappeared. The family's health insurance was gone along with their income. Jonathan applied online for Medicaid on April 1st, the day after his wife's job ended and three days before he needed a molar pulled. By that time, his mouth was throbbing. Jonathan and his family became early additions to Nevada's Medicaid rolls, rolls swollen now to record levels while pandemic-inflicted fiscal wounds have damaged the state's ability to afford the safety net health coverage. By the most recent count, the roster of Nevadans on Medicaid has climbed from around 640,000 in February to 731,000 as of last month. The 14% increase places Nevada among at least three states, along with Kentucky and my home state of Minnesota, where the cadre of people on Medicaid has spiked that much, including families like the Chapins, who have never before had to ask for government handouts. Caseloads have risen on average 8.4% through the end of July in 30 states for which researchers have enrollment information, and in 14 states with enrollment data through August, the average is 10%. If the past is any guide, this is merely the beginning, and it's going to get far worse. During the Great Recession from late 2007 to mid-2009, and previous bad economic spells in the history of Medicaid, Americans have turned to the program more gradually than to unemployment benefits, food stamps, and other aid for people sliding out of comfortable lives. Medicaid, of course, is insurance for the poor that's a shared responsibility of the federal government and states. It was begun as a pillar of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society expansion of government help during the 1960s. With Nevada's tourism-fueled economy stalled, the unemployment rate in the Silver State soared to more than 30% in April. That's the highest ever recorded for any state in any month, ever. For perspective on just how bad it is, consider this. In the nearly three years during and after the Great Recession, Nevada lost 180,000 jobs. In the first three months of this pandemic, the state hemorrhaged more than 250,000 jobs. Some casinos' lights are back on, but fewer than one-third of workers have returned to their jobs, and some have too few hours to qualify for their old health benefits. Even Nevada's most recent reported unemployment rate, just over 14% for July, is higher than the nationwide rate at the worst point of the Great Recession. With most Americans' private health insurance tethered to their jobs, 
This enormous disappearance of work is a central reason that Medicaid programs are swelling and strained. Another reason is that under the CARES Act, that broad set of pandemic relief measures that Congress adopted in the spring, states may not remove anyone from their roles if they accept extra federal Medicaid aid provided by the law. But in Nevada, most of the growth is fueled by people joining, with about two-thirds of the enrollment boom most months attributed to new applicants. The spiraling demand for Medicaid is coming at the same time that the state can't afford it. There's a diminished ability to pay because Nevada is now confronting a $1.2 billion budget deficit and a requirement to balance its budget because tax revenue has been drying up. The legislature has been taking urgent steps to slow the program's spending. Notably, they've curbed payments to doctors, hospitals, and others who care for Medicaid patients. That saved $53 million through next summer. It's a 6% cut. It's the largest so far in the nation, but others are soon going to have to follow suit because, again, states, unlike the federal government, need to actually balance their budgets. Jonathan, who I told you about a minute ago, finally posted on his personal Facebook page on July 1st what had been true for months. He had to close his business after 19 and a half years. With COVID numbers spiking again, wedding season was canceled. There were no bars to do karaoke, no venues to book bands, and no real return for the music or entertainment industry in sight. It had been 2001, months into his sobriety, when Jonathan had launched We Ain't Saints. The logo was of a devil holding a beer. Its motto was straight from Alcoholics Anonymous. The business earned him between $80,000 to $140,000, depending on the year. The 49-year-old told my colleague Amy Goldstein for a profile on today's front page that that 80 to 140K allowed him to raise a family nicely in Reno. For the emergency molar extraction, he had to find a dentist open during the pandemic who was willing to accept his Silver Summit card. That's the name for the Medicaid-managed care plan. Discovering none in Reno, the state's second largest city, he had to drive to Carson City, about 30 miles south. That's where the state capital is. But he could still go to Northern Nevada Hopes, a community health center in Reno, where he gets some of his care. That's where he went when he woke up in the middle of the night in April with a blood clot in his left calf. Medicaid paid for him to have that clot removed, and Medicaid is now picking up the tab for a blood thinner that he needs to take. His daughter, who has just entered sixth grade online, has been approved for braces. Looking over his own rise in pandemic fall, Jonathan told Amy that it's part of being American. He started a business. He was living the dream. And now to get health insurance, he has to ask the state for help. That crushes him because he's someone who's always believed in self-reliance. As it is, the Chapins are still scraping by, using up what's left of their savings for house payments to avoid eviction. But in a reminder that there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed by what's right with America, even without a job, Jonathan is finding ways to give back. Before starting his production company, he was a chef. Now he's volunteering to make beef stroganoff and peach and avocado salad, pork loin with mushroom sauce and grilled asparagus, and he's helping give those meals out for free to families in need, families like his. A lot of the people picking up the free meals are other recent exiles from the middle class who are now depending on handouts for survival. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Staying out west, 
During a two-hour layover in California on Monday, President Trump sought to convey that he's not ignoring what is likely to be the worst wildfire season in American history. Trump dropped by California between campaign events and fundraisers in Nevada and Arizona. But while on the ground in Sacramento, the president sought to pin the blame for these fires on forest management and insufficient logging while shrugging off warnings that human-caused climate change will continue to make western states a tinderbox with annual fires that destroy communities. Trump told state and local leaders, quote, It will start getting cooler. You just watch. California leaders focused on climate change during their briefing with Trump. Wade Crowfoot, the secretary of the state's Natural Resources Agency, pushed the issue more aggressively after the president dismissed concerns about rising temperatures. He told the president, quote, I wish science agreed with you. Then the president shot back, quote, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Trump then claimed that he'd just spoken to a foreign leader, whom he did not name, who insisted that his or her country has, quote, trees that are more explosive than they have in California. And he says this person told him, we don't have any problem because we manage our forests. Meanwhile, in Wilmington, Delaware, Joe Biden excoriated the president as a climate arsonist for ignoring the undeniable, accelerating, and punishing reality. Biden likened the Trump stewardship of natural disasters to his mishandling of the pandemic and racial tensions. If he gets a second term, Biden warned, these hellish events will continue to become more common, more devastating, and more deadly. Back in the West, at least 35 have now died from these wildfires. Oregon fire crews are continuing to battle more than 30 different fires raging across the state. More than 1 million acres have been scorched there, and at least 10 people have been killed. More than 3,000 Oregonians are staying in shelters run by local counties, which is raising fears that COVID will spread as residents face these cascading crises. In California, officials say at least 24 people have been killed. Fire crews there are still fighting 28 separate major wildfires in the state with more than 3.2 million acres burned and more than 4,200 structures destroyed. One death has been reported in the state of Washington. And the relentless smoke is making it really hard to breathe. That's a key part of this experience that people will remember. It's been a week now since Deborah Stratton breathed clean air. The 54-year-old and her friend evacuated their home in Estacada, Oregon, Last week, as flames approached, they spent days sleeping in their cars in a Walmart parking lot. They used their last $12 on showers at a truck stop. But the smoke followed them, hanging heavy in the air, sticking to the back of Debbie's throat. She told our Samantha Schmidt, who's in the thick of it, that it burns your chest. As white, thick clouds hover over buildings and highways, a miserable reality is sitting in for Oregonians. They can flee from the fires, but they just can't escape that smoke. No shower seems capable of getting rid of it. No air freshener can mask the scent. It seeps inside, even when windows and doors are closed and sealed. Crack a car door open, and it finds its way right in. In hospitals across Oregon, health officials report that they're seeing the impact of this hazardous air. 10% of all emergency room visits in Oregon this week are for asthma-like symptoms. State officials say they are sending 250,000 N95 respirator masks to agriculture workers and Native American tribes to help protect them from the smoke. But they don't expect to see clearer skies until late this week. Number two, 
Hurricane Sally continues to gather strength as it meanders off the Gulf Coast, an oaf of a storm that could linger with hard rain and 100-mile-per-hour winds threatening to shove massive amounts of stormwater onto the shores of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. The thud of nail guns pierced the air as residents boarded up houses at the last minute or fled the low-lying coast for high ground. Tyrone Adams is a part-time courier whose 57th birthday is just two days after Sally's expected to make landfall later today. He told our Maria Sacchetti, who's on the ground, that he has blocked his windows off and is hoping for the best as he sticks it out. And yet another sign of a dangerous and troubling time. Sally is one of at least five tropical storms swirling across the Atlantic right now. Five, simultaneously. That's the most since 1971, when there were six. In an era of human-caused climate change and warming waters, September has just set a record for the most named storms to date in the Atlantic. This season so far has seen a record year for tropical activity in the Atlantic, with 20, 20 named storms forming. That's obliterating the typical average of 11. Even more storms are possible later this week, as disturbances move off the coast of Africa, taking advantage of ocean temperatures that are significantly warmer than average. After the next storm, forecasters will be forced to dip into the Greek alphabet for names. This would be the earliest this rare occurrence has happened. Greek names were most recently used during the Atlantic 2005 hurricane season. That's still the busiest on record. It was also the year that gave us Katrina. Sally is expected to strike the Mississippi coast today as a Category 2. With its slow forward speed, the National Hurricane Center expects the storm to be a lingering and unwelcome guest, producing heavy rains that will deluge parts of the Gulf Coast with more than two feet of rain. Two feet of rain. That will cause widespread flooding. If torrential downpours continue for hours in New Orleans, the capacity of that city's pumping system will be greatly challenged. Number three. In the long term, what I'm about to tell you could be far more damaging than Hurricane Sally. Two major Atlantic glaciers are tearing loose from their restraints. Located along the coast of the Amundsen Sea in West Antarctica, the enormous Pine Island and Thwaites glaciers already contribute around 5% of global sea level rise. The survival of Thwaites has been deemed so critical that the United States and Britain have launched a targeted multi-million dollar research mission to the glacier. The loss of this glacier could trigger the broader collapse of the West Antarctic ice sheet, which contains enough ice to eventually raise sea levels by about 10 feet. Yes, 10 feet. It's just the latest in a flurry of what's been a string of really bad news about the planet's ice. Arctic sea ice is very close to, but likely to not quite reach, a record low for this time of year. Last month, Canada lost a large portion of its last major Arctic ice shelf. And in Greenland, the largest still-intact ice shelf in the northern hemisphere just lost a large chunk of ice, equivalent in size to two Manhattan Islands. Experts there blame the fracture on a strong general warming trend and temperatures that have been incredibly high in the northeast of Greenland over the last few years, again because of climate change. Let me try to end on a lighter note. Scientists have just spotted potential signs of life in the Venus atmosphere. An international team of of astronomers has just detected a rare molecule in the atmosphere of Venus that could be produced by living organisms. The discovery, which was outlined in a new report released last night, 
instantly puts the brightest planet in the night sky back into the conversation about where to search for extraterrestrial life. The researchers made clear that this is not a direct detection of life on Venus, but the astronomical observations confirm the highly intriguing presence of the chemical phosphine near the top of the acidic clouds that blanket the planet. Phosphine is a simple molecule produced on Earth by bacteria and through industrial processes. As a result, it's been on the list of molecules, oxygen being another, considered by scientists to be potential biosignatures of life on Earth-sized planets whose atmospheres can be viewed through telescopes. These researchers say they know of no non-biological explanation for the relatively high abundance of this molecule in the Venusian atmosphere. Venus is broiling at the surface, but there are layers of the atmosphere there where temperatures and pressures are moderate and where solar radiation isn't too intense. For decades, some planetary scientists have speculated that microbes could be circulating in the atmosphere, which is dominated by sulfuric acid and carbon dioxide and has only small traces of water vapor. Venus has long been overshadowed by Mars as a potential abode of life because the planet's dense atmosphere and proximity to the sun has led to a runaway greenhouse effect, resulting in hellish surface temperatures and crushing atmospheric pressure. Robotic probes have revealed a landscape that appears inhospitable to any imaginable life form. NASA is pondering proposals for two relatively low-cost robotic missions to Venus, but they haven't been approved yet. This latest announcement could push NASA and other space agencies to take a closer look. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 15th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe, whether it's from COVID, the fires, the hurricane, or anything else. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.